to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, the big news that sent ripples across Canada this week was none other than Taylor Swift. As tickets for her heiress tour went on sale, fans were left out in the code. As a staggering 31 million Swifties hoped to snag a seat. Given that the Rogers Centre can host only 55,000 for concerts, this means a mere fraction 330,000 more or less diehard fans will get to see her live. But don't fret just yet. We're all hoping she announces more dates and graces us with even more of her presence. But enough about the odds of a Swift concert, because right here on What She Said, there's no wait list, no code, and most definitely no disappointment. This week, we're diving deep, going behind headlines and uncovering truths. Here's a sneak peek. First, we address a burning issue with Diane Martin from WeRPN, guiding us through their recent unsettling annual survey, The State of Nursing in Ontario, a 2023 review. As Canadians wrestle with the healthcare system's intricacies, Diane's insights shed light on concerns many have been echoing. Next, culture, politics, and yes, even Barbies collide as Rachel Gilmore joins me to break down the uproar over Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's recent cinematic choice. Rachel's keen expertise in federal politics offers a unique perspective on an incident that's taken the internet by storm. Film enthusiast Anne Brody then sweeps in from her vacation, bringing along her treasure trove of reviews. From the emotionally charged passages that navigates the intricate labyrinth of love, to the regal allure of red, white, and royal blue, and to the shocking documentary The YouTube Effect, Anne has us covered on all fronts. We then traverse the rugged terrains of adventure with Katie Kowalski from Wilderness Tours, known for being at the forefront of white water rafting experiences on the iconic Ottawa River, Katie will share with us the adrenaline pumping excitement of navigating its rapids and why it's perfect for everyone from 5 to 85. Continuing on, we'll dive into the implications of Bill C-18 with the ever-insightful Susie Parker. This bill has been the talk of the town, and there's no one better than Susie to dissect its potential impact on Canadian news. With her extensive background in legislative affairs, she'll break down the nuances and offer a perspective that will leave us all more informed and engaged. Wrapping up our lineup today, we're taking a turn towards the personal, heartfelt journey of Jody Echowitz. Jody's tale is a testament to the strength of the human spirit and the boundless potential that comes from embracing change from within. Prepare yourself for a show bursting with stories that promise to both inspire and inform, right here on 105.9 The Region. By now, many of us have heard unsettling stories about long wait times and distressing experiences within the healthcare system. Some of us have even faced these challenges firsthand. This issue has quickly become a top concern for Canadians, and understandably so. 
To effectively address these problems, though, we must be equipped with data. Today, we have Diane Martin, Chief Executive Officer of the Registered Practical Nurses Association of Ontario, also known as WeRPN, to help us do just that. She's here to unveil the findings from their recent annual survey titled the State of Nursing in Ontario, a 2023 review. The results, I must warn you, are deeply troubling. Welcome back to what she said, Diane. Thank you so much for having me, Candice. Give us an overview, please, of, of what maybe were the most striking findings from your annual survey. So we do it every year because we want to see, since the pandemic, is we want to see how nursing's doing um, coming out of the sort of the other side. And I fully expected this year that what we would find would be that nurses were starting to recover, that there was uh, starting to be some easing of the uh, pressures that have been on them all these years. But what we found was actually the opposite. The pressures are still increasing. For example, 92% of nurses say their workloads are still increasing. 91% have witnessed patient care be negatively impacted. And uh, 62% say that um, they have seen patients whose health declined because of the inability to provide them with the care that they needed. Unbelievable. And, and another critical revelation from this report is the potential mass exodus we could be looking at. Absolutely. We found that that 62% were considering leaving nursing. And of that group, the largest amount, 59% of them, were um, not just leaving nursing in Ontario, but were leaving healthcare altogether. The remainders talked about leaving for other jurisdictions, other um, places in Ontario, or even more abroad. And there's also a trend for nurses to be moving away from direct patient care roles. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So many nurses told us that their th what they had done was stayed in the, the profession because that's what they know, but had moved away. One nurse, and I'll give you an example of it, the quote, one nurse said, I moved away from long-term care where I worked for years. I could no longer maintain my position in good faith. So a lot of them had have um, moved away from direct patient care, not because it's too hard, although it is is um, exhausting. It is uh, causing a lot of healthcare issues for nurses. But the the main reason that nurses describe is the moral distress that they feel. That's what we call it when you actually witness patients in need and know how to um, assist them with what they need but you physically cannot do it um, because of the low staffing. Uh, that is what nurses describe as the biggest reason that they have to leave the bedside. And I think that probably leads into this next point is that there's been a, a, a drop of pride for nurses in what they do. Uh, that's very uh, disturbing to me. This is what I think if not is, will become the biggest story as we move forward. And we will continue to do this every year. But nurses at the height of the beginning of the pandemic, when everything was chaotic and we weren't safe and we were scared, 67% of them said they'd never been prouder to be a nurse. Now that that amount is down to 31%. And what we are seeing in the province is a very large group of nurses whose pride in their profession 
has started to erode. Uh, we have fewer applicants at, into nursing programs is what I'm hearing from the the schools. And I think, Candace, the, the really most interesting thing to me is that uh, when I was young and in the late 70s, early 80s, and decided to head into nursing, um, I kind of knew that I was choosing the you know, traditional route for a career and that the trailblazers that I went to school with went into engineering and, and um, into law and a variety of other, other things. And I loved nursing. So I said, well, I'm just going to do the traditional thing. And then over the years, we have built this profession up to be something that is desired and where um, people, uh, primarily women, but all people can see I can uh, gain knowledge and, you know, really engage in high level learning and, and performance in this profession. And now, um, all that headway that we took to make this primarily female profession into something that is strong and desired has been lost so quickly. And I think this is going to be the story in the future, the rebuilding. I I think this next point that we're going to discuss, though, is going to be what, um, people in Ontario in particular are going to be most concerned about. And that is that a lot of nurses are considering going to private agencies or leaving the province entirely, which, you know, we're seeing this erosion of our of our healthcare system entirely. And that right there is, is a prime example, I think. I cannot blame a nurse who no. says, I can't get a day off. Mm-hmm. I can't get vacation, taking control of their lives mm-hmm. and moving to a private agency. It's completely understandable. But the, the allowing the use of these agencies within our hospitals, long-term care homes, et cetera, um, organizations can be paying up to four times the amount to get those nurses who used to work for them back into their building. Um, And the amount of those dollars that are profit into the pockets of the people who own these agencies is money that was meant to be spent on nursing. And so what we have is spending the normal amount on, on or more on nursing, but having short staff shifts every day as a result. And someone needs to step in and say, it's not okay to be using these, um, nursing agencies to staff our publicly funded healthcare system. Absolutely. So of course, I know you have a plan. I know you didn't come here with all of these stats to share with us without us sharing a plan. So maybe you could uh, share your four-step plan. So what we're planning, first of all, the report itself is you can find on the internet on a, at the website called damagereport.ca. I encourage everybody to read it. But first of all, what we need to have happen is for the legislation to happen to to uh, create manageable workloads. And we do that by creating a nurse-to-patient ratios where it is legislated that a nurse can take care of a reasonable number of patients for that particular type of care. So, for example, uh, in, in a trauma unit, it'll be one-to-one nursing. In um, a regular med surge unit, it might be four or five patients per nurse. It will depend on what kind of nursing is happening. Secondly, we have to prioritize retention with growth growth opportunities. So we have to um, streamline education and funding for uh, uh, education so that nurses can have a career trajectory that um, makes sense and that they can know that they, by becoming nurses, are investing into a future that ha- that's limitless. 
We need to establish professional compensation. The Bill 124 was struck down by uh, the courts, and arbitrators have now given uh, nurses a good start to, to solving this problem. Um, the government is appealing that decision, but it would not be in the best interests of absolutely anybody in this province to have that be successful, and I quite doubt that it would. And we need to guard against cost inefficiencies and privatization of healthcare. When you talk about the privatization of healthcare, privatization of staffing might be one of the first steps, like you talked about in the the um, agency nursing, where once a critical mass of nurses were to move over to that kind of staffing, where, by the way, they don't have pensions and benefits and the things that we normally have in nursing, eventually those wages would then drop to where they normally are, but nurses would have lost all the gains they've made over the years. So we have to do all of these things to safeguard healthcare in Ontario. All right. Well, uh, very concerning report. Uh, I know that you're on it, though, and I know you'll be back with an update at some point. So uh, in the meantime, uh, where can people find out more, keep up with this, and get involved themselves to help uh, make sure that we we have a strong healthcare system in Ontario? If you go to that website, damagereport.ca, there is an open letter that we encourage everybody to um, to sign and send to their local representatives as well as the leadership uh, of government in Ontario. Um, But also make a point of talking to your politicians about the need to ensure that uh, the healthcare is available, that it is not for profit, that the money that we give in our tax dollars to healthcare directly goes to healthcare. All right, excellent. I'm going to head on over and sign that right now. And I'm also going to put it in the liner notes when this goes out on podcasts for people to find. Diane, thank you so much for joining me. As usual, very enlightening conversation. Thanks, Candice. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. As Twitter user Charlotte Clymer said this week, we're now entering week four of aggrieved men melting down over a doll movie. Today's cultural conversations move fast and seemingly innocent acts can quickly snowball into divisive debates. And the recent storm around Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's Barbie movie outing is no exception. Joining me now to discuss is Rachel Gilmore, an award-winning reporter with expertise in federal politics, misinformation and extremism, to discuss the Fuhrer and perhaps the underlying cultural tensions that this incident has illuminated. Welcome to What She Said, Rachel. Thanks for having me. I'm so thrilled you're here. We don't have nearly enough time to get into all of this, but <laughs> let's get the listeners uh, who may not be up to speed on sort of a brief sum- brief summary of the event. Yeah, um, Trudeau went to a movie. It was wow. really, really scandalous. <laughs> um, and on top of that, the movie was the Barbie movie, God forbid, and he and his son wore pink. So it was obviously it's a national scandal. Um, I don't know how we're going to recover from it. But yeah, that's that's basically the gist of it. Um, and actually, there's an addendum to it now, too. He's gone to a second movie. So things are really, you know, escalating day by day. <laughs> 
I, I'm actually I'm I'm sort of loving the firestorm over it because it's it's so humorous to me, uh, but it's also a little bit disturbing because how how does a simple father son outing elicit such strong reactions? Yeah, I think it's really indicative of the climate right now. You know, people really, really hate Trudeau. Um, and I think that it goes outside of the bounds of like policy disagreements to a really visceral reaction to who he is. Um, and there's also this really profit driven money making side of the internet now that's totally driven by outrage. And a lot of what resonates in those circles is this really toxic kind of masculinity. And that's what I think we saw a lot of people lean into. They saw that they could get their clicks and get their likes and, you know, um, get attention by feeding off of the outrage and feeding into the outrage um, regarding Trudeau going to this movie. So uh, people kind of used it as clickbait. And what sucks, though, is that there's going to be people out there who are going to internalize that. And that makes me really sad. You know, men might see that and think, oh, am I going to get made fun of if I wear pink? or like the Barbie movie. And that's such a bummer. That's not how this should be, you know? I agree. And and speaking of, you know, divisive characters, let's talk about some of the reactions. <laughs> Pierce Morgan, Jordan Peterson. Uh, how did that go over? Yeah, they, they were not a fan, neither of them. Uh, Pierce was uh, espousing how happy he was not to be Canadian, to which the Canadians quickly read. As <laughs> yeah, are we. Exactly. That was the <laughs> resounding response. Um, and Jordan Peterson uh, seemed to have some trouble comprehending that the photo was real because I guess somehow it's really scandalous for a world leader to go to the movies um, and to wear pink. So yeah, it was just like a very disproportionate and kind of surreal reaction from people who clearly are very insecure in their masculinity themselves and feel the need to overperform as a result and kind of condemn other men that they see stepping outside the bounds of what they consider to be manly. And and some are speculating that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, who's known for being very social media savvy, may have shared this on purpose to start a broader conversation. Do you agree with that? Um, I mean, I'm sure that there was thought that went into it. There always is with these kinds of things. Um, everything Barbie related is going crazy viral right now. Um, so I, I don't think that they were probably ignorant to the fact that this would probably make some waves. I don't know if they expected the extent of the reaction, um, but they had to have been somewhat prepared. I'm sure. I hope Trudeau spoke to his son <laughs> ahead of time because I felt really bad for the son, uh, you know, getting caught up in all of this. So I hope that Xavier was totally on board. I I would be surprised if he posted that without Xavier's go ahead. Um, that that would be kind of a. a a low that I, I don't think is a part of this situation. Um, but yeah, I feel like he probably kind of knew what he was doing. But the second one, the second photo with his daughter um, seeing Oppenheimer, he knew exactly Brilliant. what he was doing. There. That, yeah. Well, I laughed so hard when I saw that picture because I thought this this is trolling at its it finest is. at this point. Yeah. Uh, he's just calling them out, uh, which is brilliant. So Let's talk about, though, what the current climate of political discourse, intersection of politics, pop culture, personal identity, where is this all going? Like, how can we get off this crazy ride? Um, honestly, I think we have to dismantle the disinformation economy. Like, we need to, there's all these dudes that are profiting from um, being outraged about exactly this kind of thing and sharing these kinds of really toxic messages. And that then resonates with people and, you know, feeds into a culture that's getting increasingly divisive. And right now, there's a lot of like, 
financial incentive for people to do that. So I think that, you know, we a have to attack that kind of source, that funding source, and the fact that it's so economically, um, you know, positive for people to do this. Um, but also, I think we just have to push back on it. And, you know, publicly, hit back at guys who are being that kind of toxic so that you know if you want to order an apple teeny at a bar and you're worried it'll make you look like a chick order the apple teeny and your friends should support you when you do that you know so i i think that we just have to support one another push back when we see bs like this and um hopefully that can kind of turn things around especially if we take the money out of the equation well, I'm going to say you are the queen of pushback, <laughs> Rachel. You are brilliant in all that you share. I'm loving following along. I want people to be able to keep up with you because you're always taking a a really good look at what is happening in this space and sharing with your followers. So where can people connect with you? Yeah, I'm most active, I would say, on uh, TikTok and Instagram. Uh, that's where I'm sharing my little daily news reels. I post pretty much every day on there. So uh, you can check me out. I'm uh, Man, I think it's Rachel underscore Gilmore on TikTok and r.gilmore on Instagram. All right. I'm going to put those links uh, in, in the uh, liner notes when this goes live on podcast. And I can't wait to have you back again, Rachel. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. We are back with Saturday Night at the Movies after a very nice two-week break. And I hope you didn't spend the whole time watching movies and television shows. Well, mostly, but there you go. <laughs> no, no rest for the wicked. <laughs> you can never get away from it. So I'm sure, well, I know, actually, by looking at what you've sent me, that you have some amazing uh, new content to share with us. So let's start with Passages. Oh. Man, it is a masterpiece. Ira Sachs, who's one of the most interesting people I think I've ever interviewed. Um, he's a director. He's lived all over the world. He uh, he has a very unusual family situation. So he's addressed it in this film called Passages, which is about uh, two um, husbands played by uh, Franz Wogoski and Ben Wishaw. So they're in a relationship that's a married relationship that's uh, sort of, you know, losing its passion. Uh, one night, uh, uh, Thomas meets um, a woman and they have an affair and he tells his husband how it felt, he felt things he hadn't felt in a long time and how excited he was to be with her. And of course, he's angry and he leaves the husband. Um, so he very happily moves in with the woman. She becomes pregnant and then he tries to have it all. He tries to revive the situation with Martin. Um, and people are just so hurt and confused by what he's doing. But it's the most incredibly made film. You just feel you're right there. And... Uh, you're you're posting my interview with him, uh, with Ira Sachs, a filmmaker, and he will talk about interesting facets of the sex scenes, which take it beyond what it appears to be at the beginning. So it's a fascinating film, and I would highly recommend it. It's at Tiff Bell Lightbox in Toronto and Van City in Vancouver. All right. Excellent. Uh, tell me about Red, White and Royal Blue. 
Oh my God. <laughs> well, it's on Prime Video and uh, it stars two extraordinarily good looking young men, Taylor Zacher Pezerson and Nicholas Kalitzine. Hard one to say. So, uh, one plays Prince Henry of England, the second, the spare, the sort of uh, hairy one. And the other one plays the son of the female president of the United States, played by Uma Thurman. So they've really disliked each other. They've come in contact many, many times for engagements, you know, official engagements. And, um, you know, one finds the other just incredibly snobbish and hidebound in tradition and inauthentic. And the other one finds the American to be kind of a boor. Well, it carries on for a while like this, and it it embarrasses both parties. And <laughs> speaking of parties, they're at a wedding, and there's a 75,000-pound cake there. And the two of them get into fisticuffs, and they collapse into the cake. It's the silliest scene, but it's quite funny. Uh, so... After that, they begin to spend a bit of time together to sort of bind things up, and then they fall in love. So it follows, you know, a prince can't be gay, and the son of a president of the United States can't be gay. That's where they begin from. And they keep it secret. It comes out, and you'll see what happens. It's completely unexpected. It's it's kind of a silly film, and it, you know... Uh, it sort of diminishes the the LBGTQ2 movement, I think, because they are so um, they're hidden. But it's funny. All right, excellent. Well, you know, we all need a little silly relief once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> now, the next two you've got on your list, I got to tell you, the next two were what interested me because I am an information junkie, and these two look really, really good. So, tell us about the YouTube effect and poisoned the dirty truth. These are both need to know. The YouTube effect by Alex Winters, who you remember started with Keanu Reeves in Ted and Bill's Excellent Adventure. He's now a filmmaker. So, I mean, YouTube was founded in 2005. It was a bit of a joke. And it is now the most powerful platform in the world with billions of users. Um, the problem is the algorithms can't separate negative from positive videos for some reason. I don't know why they can't change that. Um so oftentimes when people are bored or, you know, unemployed or uneducated, they will sit down in front of a computer and go down rabbit holes. And this leads to quite often 10% lead to 10% uh, of YouTube's suggestions lead to um, conspiracy theories and things like extremist political areas and things that can't be proven, lots of lies, which sort of accounts for, I think they have to take some blame for the, how div divided the society is today in the States and elsewhere in the world. Uh, it's, it's terribly important. And I wonder why they can't change the algorithm to be maybe less neutral, but maybe more moral. It's it's all helping to fuel the culture wars as it stands. So it's uh, it's must see viewing. It's on uh, TVOD, so you can get it just about anywhere. Okay, we only got a few seconds left. Do you want to talk about poisoned quickly? Yeah, I can wrap that up fast. One man was just sentenced to twenty eight years in jail for sending out tainted peanut butter products. 
knowingly. At his trial, he refused to sample his own peanut butter. That's just one example of the many outrages that we find in raising food. In California and Yuma, Arizona, the food's particularly uh, recall-worthy. What they do is they have livestock right next to the fields. They irrigate the fields with the water runoff, which includes animal waste. It's such an eye-opener. It's about- And that's on Netflix, right? It sure is. It's new. So be sure to watch that. All right. Excellent. So check it out. What she said, talk.com. You have all of these and a lot more. Uh, and we'll see you next week, Anne. We'll see you next week. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Teach my feet to Adventure, thrill, the great outdoors, it's a calling many of us can relate to but often hesitate to answer. Just last weekend, though, I took the plunge quite literally into the heart-pounding world of river rafting, guided by the exceptional Michelle from Wilderness Tours. My girlfriends and I had an exhilarating experience that was more than just a battle against rapids. It was about pushing boundaries, embracing nature, and truly feeling empowered. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Katie Kowalski, a pivotal force behind Wilderness Tours. Born and raised on the river, her journey has been nothing short of extraordinary. From being a seven-time Canadian freestyle kayak team member to now being a mom to a beautiful two-month-old, she joins me to share why you need to take the plunge too. Welcome to What She Said, Katie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. What an amazing adventure we had on the river on Sunday. And I can't say enough good things about wilderness tours. This obviously wasn't my first experience, but for those unfamiliar, could you briefly describe what whitewater rafting is and what makes it such an exhilarating experience? Yeah, of course. So whitewater rafting is, we you come up with us, we do either day trips or um, you can raft for two days or five days. Um, but you are in a raft, uh, so a big inflatable vessel that sits anywhere from six to 12 people. We have different size raft and we have different level of intensity as well. So you can choose a more mild option, a more a medium option, or very much a high, a high intensity option as well. And so whether you come to fill a full raft, you can come just yourself as twos all the way up to groups of 12 or more. And then we'll, we would split up your group. However, and if it's just a single or double, we'll put you with other friends for the day. And we're guiding you down the mighty channel of the Ottawa River. So the Rushe Fonzu section. And so there's about eight different rapids throughout the day that we take you down. It's very exciting, uh, whether it's your first time or we have guests who come back year after year as well. And what's the youngest age that can go out river rafting? Uh, actually five and 50 pounds. So as I mentioned, there is different levels of intensity and the Ottawa River actually has two different channels that have multiple different uh, classes of rapids. And so we are able to go down a channel that has rapids that are suitable for a five-year-old. And it also depends what time of year you go as well, right? The experience will change during the year? It does. It is always fantastic. If you do come in May or June, the water tends to be obviously a little bit colder as it hasn't warmed up yet. 
the Ottawa is fantastic in the sense that by mid-June, it is almost like bath waters. However, it is the rapids tend to be a bit bigger in May and June as we have high water. And then as the summer progresses, we get into that warmer water and the rapids get a little bit smaller. Though that's not always true in, in nature. Some rapids do actually get bigger as the water drops. But for the standard, um, it does get kind of more gentle throughout the summertime. So if it is, if you are nervous or it is your first time, I always say July, August is kind of your safest bet for warm water. Um, and a more kind of a little bit more gentle experience. But no matter when you come in the spring uh, or later in the summer or fall, it really is a great time no matter when. So I know somebody is listening right now and they're saying, no way, there is no way I could ever do this. So what would you say to somebody who's really nervous about getting out and whitewater rafting? That Wilderness Tours has been in business now. We've been taking people rafting since 1975. Uh, so we are incredibly familiar with the channels that we operate on. Uh, it really is something for everybody in the sense that there is that mild option. As I mentioned, we do take very young kids. Uh, so we are able to cater a more gentle experience. And recently we've added uh, lazy river tubing as well to the mix of our offerings. Uh, so if you just want to kind of get your feet wet and kind of see what it's like to just get on the river with a little bit of current, that is a great starter option but we do have really excellent, gentle, um, mild rafting to get you kind of that first experience down the river. And it's beautiful. Um, there's even a waterfall that you get to um, kind of walk around and portage, um, have a snack along the way. So it is really a great experience, even if you are nervous, our guides are excellent. Uh, and it is, yeah, I definitely encourage everybody to give it a try. Firm believer, it should be on everybody's bucket list. Um, at least once, if not multiple times. So we did the high adventure, which was medium intensity. And I actually had to take a screenshot of that to send to my girlfriends. I said, look, I am not lying to you. It says high adventure, but it's middle of the road. But between the rapids, the nature is unreal. So what are some of the things you can see along the river? Uh, for the most part, we see a lot of eagles. And so that's only within the last few years that they've really come back and forth. So it's really neat as you finish the rapids, you're going through these different channels and you're seeing lots of eagles. Um, you'll see lots of fish jumping up out of the water as well. Sometimes you'll even get to see a deer that swims across, which is always exciting. Uh, the bear is typically not really in anywhere near us. And if so, they're way far in the forest. So I've actually never seen a bear um, on the river, though maybe one day. Um, but yeah, it's mostly eagles, uh, deer, uh, any kind of wildlife and fish along the way. So tell me about the whole experience then, because we did a day trip and I was delighted to see how much you've expanded. You have a great dining area, you have camping and cabins and glamping tents. So tell people what the whole thing can look like if they come for more than a day. Yeah, so we get day trippers from kind of the lower local area. But if you're coming from Toronto or uh, the Toronto area, Oftentimes, because you are doing a four-hour drive, you are coming and staying multiple days with us. So we do offer all our programs come with camping, or you can upgrade to different accommodations. So we, like you mentioned, we have everything from glamping tents uh, to bigger accommodations that sleep 12 people or more. So we get family reunions. We get a lot of bachelor, bachelorette parties. Uh, again, family gatherings or just friends out for a kind of weekend. And so with that, we do have a licensed bar. We have a dining area, volleyball courts, um, great beachfront that have sit on top kayaks, stand up paddle boards, a sauna for if it's a little bit cold or rainier of the day. 
So, and there really is something for everybody, even if the rafting isn't necessarily for yourself, there's great hiking trails back at base, or once you're done your rafting experience, you can go for a great hiking trip. Um, we do sea kayaking, mountain biking. So again, lots of variety, even after your rafting trip or before your rafting trip. So this is obviously what she said. So let's focus on the ladies just for a little bit and talk about how Wilderness Tours really empowers women because I loved seeing so many female guides out there on the river. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. So uh, a good core of our management team is actually all female. Uh, And then, yeah, we love to get as many women in whitewater as possible. Just as a general rule, it is about 25 uh, percent female to 75 percent male. We're always trying to get that closer to the 50-50. And we do have a fabulous team of women that work for us, and we're so excited to have them. And how does one become a whitewater guide? How does that start? Yeah, so we Wilderness Tours actually offers a guide course at the start of every spring, and it is a two-week-long course. Very intense, obviously. I always say kind of boot camp style because you are on the river for long days uh, into the evening. There is evening lectures where we go over river hydrology and everything like that. So if you've had any sort of, you can come in with whitewater experience or none, and it is a pass or fill course. Obviously, you do need to demonstrate that you can take people down the river before we kind of graduate to you too. And then there's a process of shadowing. So that's where you're going along with your senior trip leaders and senior guides and doing all the briefings and everything like that before you get signed off. But we do offer a course at the start of every spring to get uh, those individuals into guiding. Another great option is start whitewater kayaking. So Wilderness Tours also has a great kayak school where we offer two-day, three-day, or five-day courses. And that is an excellent way to learn to navigate the rapids Um, by yourself first. You learn to read the water, um, where all the currents are going. Whereas with rafting, it's fabulous. It's so fun. But, you know, Michelle, as you know, Michelle was doing most of the work. Okay, okay, okay. But well, well, sorry, she was navigating. You were for sure propelling the vessel. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) We helped a little. Of course you did. Of course you did. But as far as navigating, whereas with with the kayak, you become the master of your universe. And so it's a really neat way of maneuvering down the rapids as well. And that's a great introduction to getting into whitewater as well. Listen, my girlfriends and I want to steal Michelle away forever into our group. She is just wonderful. She was a delight, uh, but all the women out there were great. So for people listening, they want to plan a trip. They want to get out there, be it with their their kids or their spouse or just a group of girlfriends like I did. What's the best way for them to plan their adventure and find the best experience for them? Yeah, of course. So our website has all our information on it. Uh, That being said, you can always call our office, talk to any of our fantastic uh, reservation specialists there. They can walk you through the different types of adventures that we have. Because as you mentioned, there is kind of some naming conventions that uh, don't necessarily correlate. And that's only because we've added another layer of intensity on top of that. So our original high adventure trip was the most extreme until we've added more. And that's become a more more milder experience. Um, But with that, yeah, so call our office. Check out our website, wilderness or Ottawa Kayak School as well. So any of our, again, like I mentioned, fantastic office staff can help guide you. Again, whether you're looking for a day trip, multi-day trip, cabin, rental, whatever you're looking for. All right. Incredible. Katie, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope we have you back again soon. Thank you Teach so much.
wrong with being? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being confident? As many Canadians are aware, news links from our nation are currently being removed from major tech platforms like Google and Meta. This is purportedly in response to Bill C-18, which requires tech giants to compensate Canadian news organizations for their content when it's shared on their platforms. To help us navigate this digital storm, I'm joined by Susie Parker, owner of Sparker Strategy Group, Winnipeg's first and only social media and public relations agency. Susie has been a beacon of clarity on this issue, sharing insights and perspectives on how this will impact us all. Welcome back to the show, Susie. Thanks so much for having me, Candice. Okay, so let's get up to speed, though, for those who may not be keeping up with all of this. Can you give a brief overview of the situation regarding the removal of Canadian news links? Yes. So due to the fact that um, Google and Meta have not been compensating content creators and news outlets for the links that they share on their platforms, this bill um, would uh, sort of force them to do that, basically. And so they've opted out of now sharing links uh, connected to news websites in Canada on any of their platforms. So that means if you go to Google search, you will not find any news links on there. And same thing if you go to your Facebook account or your Instagram account and look for the news um, stories that you usually find on there, whether it's in your stories or on the on the grid, as it were, those will no longer be populated with the content that you seek. So you've mentioned that this situation highlights what happens when governments are perhaps late to understanding the impacts of technology on society and culture. So can you elaborate elaborate a little bit on that? Yes, I think that, you know, this is not something new to Canada that we're seeing. Australia had a similar situation a few years ago where their government wanted tech companies to also compensate media companies as well, because as we can see, media companies are making a ton of money off the uh, content that's on their sites. And so creators, including news companies, feel they should be compensated for that. Their writers, their staff, their journalists, and as well as the ad revenue that they get from people visiting their site, they do get that revenue. But Meta and Google are not into that type of profit sharing, are into that sharing at all, really. And because they are so much space on the internet, unfortunately, it gives them a tremendous advantage over people who are the content creators and the news creators as well. And in this kind of standoff that we're in right now, government did not anticipate this type of outcome happening. So as usual, Canadians or the news uh, consumers are held hostage by this type of situation. And it's not ideal for anybody in this uh, in this situation where people are always looking for, first of all, legitimate news sources and trending stories of the day, things that might be happening in their communities. When you have things like wildfires, for example, that we have all throughout the country right now, and you're looking for up-to-date news, most people are sharing those links in their Facebook groups, their Facebook communities, um, pages of the sort, even just the simple news pages that are used to be on Facebook. And now those will no longer be populated with up-to-date content. It's a real um, it's a real failing of government and a real failing of people who manage this type of uh, legislation to understand where we were 10 years ago and to understand where we were going to be now and to not have any kind of mitigation in place. So with the removal of legitimate news sources, though, particular Canadian news sources, obviously, how do you think this is going to impact the spread of misinformation and disinformation? I don't think it will stop the um, proliferation of mis and disinformation on, on these sites. In fact, I think it will almost harm the users because there will be more of it. So there's no, and we have to look at it as well, that 
this means that these companies do have the technology and do have the capabilities to stop that type of information. If they want to take something off their platform, they absolutely can, but they are choosing not to. So in this sense, they had every opportunity to remove the news sites, remove their content. So it, this is not a situation of doing the best for the consumer or best for the public. This is actually the opposite of that. So this is one of those situations where we have to see and we have to envision how these types of tech companies are uh, and their impact on society in terms of what they allow to be seen. And we have to separate that from the fact that the internet should be a space that is not necessarily um, censored, but has content that anybody can see whenever they wish to see it. We are not seeing that right now. There is suppression of those news links on Google. And who's to say that they can't decide what to suppress next? That is a dangerous precedent for them to set. So what do you think the Canadian government should do then in response? Is, is this now just sit and wait and we play this game of chicken? Where, where do we go from I here? I think it is a bit of a game of chicken. Um, if we look at the Australia example, there was a resolution that was finally come to uh, between the government and these tech companies. I think that we will see that happen here, but it doesn't take away the questions that we should be asking. It doesn't take away the questions that we should be asking our politicians, whether it's at the local level, at the provincial or you know federal level, what their stance is on how to manage tech and Canadians' access to news and information. And what that means is that there's a changing landscape. Obviously, we've seen that over the last 10 years, especially when it comes to news and misinformation online. What does that mean for our children? How are they going to be getting their news? And if you talk to young people today, they're getting their news, in many cases, off TikTok. They're getting their news off many cases in YouTube. And though are those sources being... Um, educational enough for them? Are they providing enough information and context for the world that these young people live in? How are we going to fact check these sources for young people? Uh, I think media literacy should be an absolute must in, in schools. I think we need to have young people understanding where and how to source firsthand information, how to fact check information, how to do research on things. And that's just... Uh, I think it's a reality of the world that we live in is that we're going to have to be a bit more critical in our thinking of where and how we consume information and news. I absolutely love following the insights you share about social media. You always have the greatest take on things, Susie. So I want people to be able to keep up with you. Where can they follow along with all of the things that you share? They can always find me on social media. My handle is usually Susie, S-U-S-I-E underscore Parker, P-A-R-K-E-R. And uh, I also post on my Facebook page, which is Parker Strategy, as well as on X and Instagram and threads. All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Candace. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. business, Jody Ekowitz stands out as a beacon of innovation and leadership. As the CEO of Boulevard Public Relations, she's been at the helm of driving integrated communications for technology, startups, and venture capital firms for over two decades. But Jody isn't just about boardrooms and press releases. She's also a role model when it comes to taking control of health and fitness in our life. And through this, she brings forth a powerful message. You're never too old, and it's never too late to change your life. 
Welcome to What She Said, Jody. Thanks so much for having me, Candace. I'm excited to be here. So can you share what spurred your health transformation in January of 2022? Sure. Early on in the pandemic, I was consistently exhausted. I would wake up in the morning after getting like a good seven, eight hours sleep and not be able to wake up. I was in a brain fog. Literally, I went to my doctor and I said, please, can you test me for early onset Alzheimer's? And she's like, okay, come in and went through everything with her. I don't know if you've ever done the test, but it's kind of it's kind of scary and it's very disheartening. Um, and ultimately, at the end of it, while there were some things that she wasn't happy about, she said, this is not early onset Alzheimer's. So I breathed a huge sigh of relief. And one of the things she said to me is, how's your nutrition? And I'm like, it's bad. It's really bad. And that sort of led me to realize that really when you're eating poorly and um, not really taking care of yourself, you're actually not going to be able to think clearly. You're not going to be able to do things. And so I said, okay, let me try and see if I can do some things to get myself right. So I tried Weight Watchers, which I'd lost weight on actually twice before when I had both my kids. I tried Noom because it was more sort of psychologically focused. And ultimately, I never lost weight. I was still at a point where I was either under eating or eating just the wrong foods. You know, literally two, three times a week, I was having a big bag of all dressed uh, chips for dinner. And it's like garbage in, garbage out. So ultimately, I got to the point where it's like, I cannot do this anymore. I tried. And in the summer of 2021, um, I'd already been following some people on Instagram. And this one coach um, that somebody um, was was working with put out a call for um a transformation program. I had no idea what it involved. I just knew I wanted what this other person had gone through and I wanted the same kind of results. And so I applied. Um, and actually what's crazy is I wasn't accepted. There were 350 applicants for 20 spots. And wow. that was super disheartening. And about a week later, I got a notification to say that they have chosen sort of the next 20 uh, applicants and that I got selected to work with one of the other coaches. It wouldn't be the same transformation program, but I could work with one of the other coaches. And literally at that point, I felt like I'd won the lottery. I still had no idea what it entailed, but I was like, okay, let's do this. And we set a date of beginning of January 2022 to get started. And that's kind of how everything happened. And so you mentioned that mindset has been a pivotal component of this transformation. So how did you cultivate that mindset? So a big part of the program that I've been doing, which is called the Wonder Woman, um, is there's sort of three elements to it. One is nutrition, the other is exercise, and the third piece, very important piece, is mindset. And so as part of this, you are required to actually read, there's two books. One is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, and the other is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And so those are the two mandatory books that you had to read. So I read them, uh, went through, and what would happen is we would do team calls. Every week we would do a call, or every two weeks we would do a call um, as a group, and we'd actually dissect elements of the book chapter by chapter, learning to understand sort of the 
the theses that were being written about. And one of them is, what's your barrier story? What is the thing that keeps holding you back? And it took me quite a few months to sort of realize this, but I, I really dug deep and I realized that I had a very poor relationship with my mom growing up. And there was a period of time in my teens where I felt really good about myself. I thought I looked great. And my mom said something to me that just stuck with me and obviously was in the back of my mind. And so throughout my entire adult life, whenever I you know, lost weight, gained weight, lost weight, like this yo-yo dieting, I think I always self-sabotaged as soon as I got to a point where I felt like I looked good. And I realized that it went back to my teen years where my mom said something to me. And so I always felt that I was never worthy of feeling good about myself. So the mindset, I think the, the piece of this is really digging deep and understanding what are the things that limit us from achieving our success, and then really embracing a growth mindset, you know, really looking at opportunities to become the person that you're meant to be and not letting things hold you back. And so it's just been, it's been mind blowing. And even though people see me and they see the physical changes, I actually think the most powerful changes are those that are hidden, those that are sort of really what drive me day to day. I love that you are sharing that about how important it is mindset and how important it is how we feel on the inside. And you hit such an important point there that we sometimes hang on to things for decades that we don't really know has been driving our behavior until we explore it a little further. So this has been fantastic. And I really wish we had more time, but we're sort of out of it. Uh, but Jody, you share a lot about your journey and the importance of a coach. Where can people follow along and find out more about, you know, who you went with and, and how you did it? So uh, they can definitely follow me at uh, jody.ekowitz, and it's E-C-H-A-K-O-W-I-T-Z on Instagram. I share my story. I share my workouts. Um, you could also follow along uh, the Wonder Woman official on Instagram. That's the program um, that I am part of. And my coach is Your Healthy Hedonista. And uh, she shares some great insights, like super, super fantastic uh, details from all the coaches Um you know, shared through through those accounts. Absolutely incredible. I want people listening right now to go to your Instagram and check out those before and afters because wow. Uh, but where I see it, Jody, is in your personality and you are just a bright light. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Candice. Really great to be here. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.